Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 50,000 people have listened to Mark's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Uh, I'm excited about this episode for really a couple of reasons. One is that, you know, the time of the year, I think, is great as we are moving into the fall to kind of get ready of finishing up, certainly, the year, but also thinking about 2020. But also, I've got, I think, a really good topic that I'm going to share. You know, because I'm not in the day-to-day trenches, like certainly most of the listeners of this, you know, I get a chance to interact and see and really experience a lot of different things that I think are very helpful. And today's topic, focusing on some of the Google insights that are out there, uh, really, I think, will be able to help you. As I think about this industry and I think about, you know, some of the big influencers that have come through. Uh, back in the 80s, we saw, you know, the big box in Home Depot come into the industry, and that certainly created a, a little bit of disruption and certainly some concern on the professional community. But I think for the most part, it also created a level of awareness that was great. Then we saw in the late 80s and the early 90s, this movement on the media side to, you know, move way beyond those two or three little magazines into the Home and Garden Network. And the Home and Garden Networks, I think, really uh, helped to, yes, I think, create, I think, sometimes expectations that were tough to meet. But more importantly, it created a level of awareness. Then as we moved into this century, we started to see the internet really have traction. And we started to see, I think, uh, organizations like certainly House and Home Advisor and uh, Angie's List and all these different organizations out there really having some pretty big influence in terms of how people would go about buying. Matter of fact, at a futurist conference, they talked about, you know, that, you know, the homeowner today is really controlling the process rather than be controlled. And I think the more knowledge that you have, you can actually control the controller, I think, in a more effective way and have them have a great experience. You know, even moving forward over the course of the last five years or so, we've seen a big influence in terms of, you know, some of the insights and some of the interface with Google, Google on the review side, Google on certainly the advertisement side. And today I'm going to be talking about that topic, and that is what are some of Google's kind of insights that, again, if you're looking at this objectively, you can actually leverage into your business and I think help you be more, uh, more effective. So before I do that, I do want to thank my uh, supporters, the National Association of the Remodeling Industry, NERI. I think being involved in professional organizations is certainly a great way to supplement your knowledge, but also kind of connect the dots. I mean, being on an island by yourself today, I think is not only scary, but not very smart. So I certainly would encourage uh, your involvement, but also leveraging the knowledge base that organizations like Professional Remodeler, uh, the knowledge base really tied into uh, some of the thought leaders, some of the, uh, the, the experts and authorities on different elements in the business, 
I think are critical. And certainly, last but not least, my friends at Surefire, who not only helped me to produce this podcast for you, but they also uh, uh, support anyone that wants to connect back to them can get copies of my books as well. So feel free to just reach back to them, ask them for one of my books if you think that might help you. And certainly uh, all they ask for is an exchange is a little bit of a discussion about digital marketing. So diving into this portion of this podcast, uh, the second portion, of course, being our thought leader interview, uh, I want to talk about, you know, Google and I want to talk about some of the insights. So one of the unique things about Google is that they have access to literally millions of homeowners. And one of the things they very effectively do is they survey on a regular basis under the wing of their home services group, survey homeowners in terms of the insights of what they care about. Now, needless to say, these kind of things are important surveys at so many levels, because if you can watch what consumers are caring about and how things are changing, then you can start to adjust, I think, your messaging and, and your focus and your product and service. For the most part, how we go about selling, how we go about producing, and somewhat even how we go about marketing, remodeling businesses, haven't dramatically changed, I think, for many of you out there listening to this. But Google, I think, has some insights that are pretty important. So I've actually highlighted five of them that I want to touch on on this podcast today. Number one is online reviews. So in a recent survey that Google had done, they determined that homeowners, homeowners put more value in online reviews than they do personal referrals. Now, for many of you, when I ask you, how does your business come to pass or where did your clients come from? Oh, it's about our trucks. It's about our signs. It's about personal referrals. In your mind, that's been kind of your, your uh, uh, holy grail is getting those kind of personal referrals up. Now, I'm not suggesting that personal referrals are not important because, of course, they're important. But what I am suggesting is you need to have a strategy. You need to have tactics. You need to have ways to really gain the number of online reviews. Matter of fact, it was interesting, in this survey, they said, you know, when people get all five stars and that's all they have, they don't trust you as much as if they're between 4.3 and 4.7 in terms of even your ratings as far as reviews. Now, there are many organizations, certainly with Surefire, Marlamar, others that have tools out there that help to get online reviews for you or with you if, in fact, you get trained and you participate in the right things. So, again, just to summarize, online reviews are more important to homeowners than personal referrals. The second is that they've talked about, and they've done some surveys on this, is the, the importance of price transparency. Now, there's a lot of buzz out there in the industry about how important it is to be transparent when it comes to pricing. But the reality is, you know, your homeowners know more about, you know, certainly the products in many ways than you in large part because of the Internet. They know more about pricing of things because of the Internet. And because of the reviews, as I just talked about, they know in many cases as much or more about you because of the Internet. Now, this notion of price transparency 
What I find is many homeowners out there, or excuse me, many remodelers out there, they kind of think that it's like getting into the private business. They think of it as like kind of opening up kind of the, the books, so to speak, when clients are looking for more of this price transparency, so there's a lot more resistance. But what Google has found, and this is the important nugget here, that about two-thirds of the homeowners are saying when you're not price transparent, when it comes to your website or your materials, they don't feel good. They don't necessarily trust you. And if they don't trust you, the likelihood that they'll either contact you or do business with you is much less. Now, there's a lot of different ways, certainly, to think about price transparency. I encourage you to listen to our podcast with my interview, thought leader interview with Michael Anschel, where he, I think, grappled with this. And he found ways to do this and ways to communicate it. But you also need to understand and think about price transparency when it comes to how you go about communicating in terms of the internet and your website. Number three. And this was really a kind of a, 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 a aha for me when I heard this a couple of years ago. In another survey that Google d- did, they said that, you know, when someone refers to themselves as a do-it-yourselfer, 34% of the time they end up hiring a pro or a professional firm to come do the work. Now, the reason this is a little bit of an aha for me is that I think many in the home improvement business, as soon as you see homeowners wanting to do things themselves, I think in many ways it's a red flag or you tend to discount them. What this said to me is that remodelers need to wear their professor, wear their advisor, wear their educator's hat much, much more. And because of the internet, actually, and because of the videos of how to go about doing things, in many ways, I think homeowners move from a do-it-yourselfer kind of uh, mindset on projects to needing to bring in a pro. It's in large part their ignorance about what's required to do something professionally or do it right that causes them to think that they can do it yourself. So the bottom line on this is don't discount those that want to or think of themselves as do-it-yourselfer. Don't uh, be critical of that. Just try to be more educating to them about levels of risk and what they should do themselves versus not. Number four is where's the money come from? coming from? Uh, Google shared, I think, some very interesting data when it looks at kind of the wave of the demographics and the change. You know, for most remodelers out there, there's a tremendous amount of wealth transfer transfer that is coming from the baby boom generation back into the millennial generation. The millennial generation is actually larger than the baby boom generation. However, in this survey that they shared, there's about $30 trillion that's being transferred from the baby boomers back to the millennials. So as you think about how do I message, how do I sell, how do I approach my remodeling and home improvement, what you have to at least ask yourself in terms of how the client is going to fund particular projects, it may be not just about the financing of the project, but it may be about transferring some of this wealth that is coming down the line from the parents. Now, why is this important? Well, when you're having dialogue, whether it's initially up front from your, your person in your office or a call center, or it's 
with your salespeople. You know, you've got to have a conversation about this with a client. You've got to ask them, how were they thinking about financing the project? Were they going to use kind of personal funds? Were they going to use uh, financing? Or in fact, were they going to leverage funds from family members? In many cases, if the family member is funding something, you probably want to have them engaged or involved slightly. At a minimum, give them the materials because they've got to start to see the value if, in fact, they're going to fund the project. So this wealth transfer, I think, is important to understand, but it's also important to weave into your sales and uh, your strategy. Number five, which was a term that actually was at a, a, a remodeling thought leader group that we brought Google in and, and discussed this, and they, they shared this insight, and that is that homeowners today, what they want more than anything and the word that they very specifically use, they want you to be assistive. So I would encourage you to think about, gather your team. What does it mean to be assistive? They want that more than anything. They want you to help them buy. They want you to be a tour guide in the process. They don't necessarily want the traditional sales methods that oftentimes were employed in the past. And I think the more that you can connect the dots with that homeowner and have them be, be of assistance to them in their remodeling process, as opposed to some of the traditional ways of thinking, I think you're going to be more successful. So in summary, I just encourage, don't think of yourself having to be out on an island by yourself. Listen very carefully to what your homeowners are saying, but also Gather this data and see how it's really changing. I don't think fundamentally the sticks and bricks are changing, but there's no question the consumer is changing, how they're going about buying, what they're buying, and in turn, it's going to be ultimately who they're buying it with. And I think if you can get your arms around this topic and this subject in a more effective way, you're going to be more successful. So I want to thank everybody for this. Stay tuned for our thought leader interview coming up here shortly. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Hi, Mark Richardson here, host of Remodeling Mastery and certainly excited about a lot of things happening in the industry. Many of you have been listening to this podcast and other interviews with many of the thought leaders. Well, we've got a chance that you can actually meet these thought leaders and interact and ask a lot of questions of the thought leaders. Coming up in Chicago on September 12th and 13th is the Extreme Sales Summit. The Extreme Sales Summit is an exclusive event. Uh, it's actually led by Professional Remodeler Magazine, and it's at the Lowe's Hotel. It's something that should be very, very interesting and exciting. Uh, there's a lot of different things that this event is really trying to accomplish. Uh, one is we're going to be having speakers there that are focusing on kind of the future consumer and how to sell to them. Uh, an organization that many of you have heard of, Google, and their head of the industry is going to share some of the uh, insights that they have on how consumers want to be sold today, and this is going to be shared. Also, we're going to be looking at different sales models that are out there, the selling of you know innovative organizations like. Tesla and the medical industry and certainly some of the other retailing and how that really overlaps to the remodeling 
sales process itself. Selling financing. Many people out there today sell financing. However, the reality is financing is all about how to about increasing your close rate and seeing better results. We're also going to be looking at sales culture and how to retain and keep top gun salespeople. You know, high tech versus high touch. Today, more than ever, you need that balance. And at the Extreme Sales Summit, there's going to be speakers sharing some different technologies to be able to take your sales game to the next level. So as I said, in addition to everything else, many of the remodeling thought leaders, including Brian Gottlieb and Bill Baldwin and Vince Nardo and many others who you've actually heard on this podcast series are going to be there, not only interacting, certainly with the group and the crowd, but also uh, they're going to be there certainly speaking and sharing more insights. So there's many different partners there to try to help and support from the marketing industry, certainly from the financing industries, from also the products and processes out there. So I encourage you to check this out. Uh, Again, it's coming up September 12th and 13th, and it is in Chicago at the Lowe's Hotel near the O'Hare Airport. Very easy, in and out, and I encourage you, and I look forward to hopefully meeting you myself directly then. Take care. Welcome back. I'm Mark Richardson, and today we have a very special guest, guest that I've known for many years and is a good friend and certainly a leader in the remodeling industry. His name is Larry Green. He is the CEO of a outdoor living kind of pavers company out out in the West Coast primarily uh, uh, with the uh, headquarters in Orange County. And uh, Larry is one of the remodeling thought leaders. He's not only a person that has got some interesting kind of roots and background that you'll certainly hear about and hopefully will glean some nuggets, but also I think he's probably one of the more forward-thinking in this industry. He's looking out not only, you know, out the next three to six to 12 months, but what, what does that future look out look like? Uh, much further out as well. So, Larry, welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Thank you, Mark. Good to be with you. So let's, you know, as I oftentimes do with this, I like to kind of set a foundation. Let's talk a little bit about system pavers. Who is system pavers? Well, system pavers is uh, an outdoor living company, as you mentioned. We're based in Orange County, California, Santa Ana to be specific. Essentially, our market goes from San Diego up to Seattle, covering almost all of the metropolitan areas uh, in between those areas, and um, also Denver, Colorado. Um, So we really specialize in the entire outdoor living um, piece of the modeling industry, Uh, We do not do swimming pools, although we often uh, rehab swimming pools and the pool decks and coping and tile and stuff. But we do um, what was the baseline of our, or the foundation of our work is uh, paving stones and then all the features and bells and whistles that go with that architecturally um, for the entire lifestyle piece. So outdoor fireplaces, fire pits, the outdoor kitchen, or just simply the outdoor built-in barbecue island, shade coverings, 
um, lighting, um, synthetic turf, um, some fencing even, and, uh, and so on. So, Larry, now you've obviously been in this business for a long time, and you've seen a lot of changes, certainly especially in the outdoor living space. I mean, I think oftentimes, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you th- think about, you know, uh, okay, I'll call a landscaper, whereas you've really made this kind of a design-build outdoor living experience. Why don't you talk just a minute about how it's changed in kind of the importance of the outdoor space? Yeah, so that's interesting because we have evolved. The company's in its 27th year, and uh, when, I, when, I, uh, when we founded the company in 92, uh, we had um, – or the the industry per se had no real familiarity, very little familiarity with paving stones. The fact that you have a a system that that is flexible and durable and aesthetics and all of that come together. Historically, people were familiar with stamped concrete or other types of concrete treatments that really didn't look that good. Certainly didn't last very long. And so, for the first serious number of years that we were in this business, probably, you know, the first 15 or 18 years of being in the business, uh, we essentially were doing flat work and our role was educating people um, about this better option, much more beautiful and and sort of cost-effective, long-term cost-effective option. And even there, I, I think that it was a it was a lead into the outdoor space. People, you know, whilst they had beautifully trimmed landscape and plants and so forth, they really weren't paying attention to the flat work and the surfaces. So we went from what was driveways, which really represent, or walkways represent your sort of grand entrance into your home, maybe the way you either welcome people into your home or the way you feel about arriving at your home, or even just that backyard enjoyment, what you see when you look out of the window into the backyard or just being in that space. Um, Paving stones just in of themselves was a tremendous upgrade uh, in terms of human scale element that made it more enjoyable to be in that space. And so as we were bringing people along by way of education, uh, we were a little bit unique. There weren't that many companies who were in the space. Of course, it's changed with anything. As any product gains real traction, acceptance, you get a lot more people jumping in, concrete contractors and, and, and others, and you, then you start to become a little bit more of a commodity. By this stage, uh, call it right around the recession or coming out of, in the recession, in fact, uh, there were a lot more people jumping in to do almost any kind of work uh, that they could get. So a lot of people focusing on the smaller um, specialty type improvements, pavers, for example. And we realized that we had a database of people who really trusted us uh, with, because we had already scaled by that stage. So we had a database of people who trusted us with the outdoor space. And so we were able to graduate into additional products, the first of which was synthetic turf, even though there was a recession at the time, um, we also had a drought in many parts of uh, the West. And so synthetic turf started to gain some traction. And through that, 
we added other offerings to build up the suite of everything that we, we already covered or I mentioned before. So that did change the whole business for us because we went from the simple specialty kind of program to a multi-trade, almost an outdoor general contractor versus um, you know, a specialty contractor. So a much more complex um, offering and with that a much more complex business to run. So it might be the kind of work that some full landscape companies would do, but nothing that anybody had ever scaled before. When I say scaled, you know, we're completing somewhere in the four to 5,000 projects a year. So trying to scale a general contracting semi-design build business, you know, in, in, into those numbers of projects, that's a different world and certainly it was a different world for us. And certainly with the consumer changing, I think that, uh, I think, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, I think people were putting the amount of time and energy from a design point of view and a cost point of view into the inside of the home. And they've realized now that, you know, outdoor space is very much an extension of the home and that the importance of outdoor space certainly has become, uh, you know, very, very, very popular. So, Larry, let's talk a little bit more about you. You you obviously have a hint of an accent. It sounds like it's not from the deep south. Uh, I, I, I picked it up in California. <laughs> there you go. So tell us a little bit about Larry Green and, and, and uh, your background, because I think many of the people listening to this podcast, you know, are, are not only curious about the product and service and the business, but they're also looking at the path of, you know, how a successful business person kind of takes his business to the next level. So let's talk a little bit about, about, about Larry Green. Well, I've, I've certainly been around this industry for a long time. So I, uh, my origins are, I'm from South Africa, and uh, I ended up dropping out of college, actually, and then at a, at a young age, right soon after coming out of the military in South Africa, um, started selling home improvements. And it was just, you know, kind of the thing that I was doing at the time. Uh, paving stones were becoming popular in that part of the world and in the rest of the world, for that matter, at that time. This is, you know, late 70s. And um, so I, I landed up as a salesperson in, in that field. And uh, I had been working for somebody who was... Um, playing a lot of games and ended up in jail, in fact. And I found myself out of work and uh, out of a paycheck. And so I started a company in Johannesburg, South Africa, in 1978. And uh, we grew that company to be national. And it was an exciting, dynamic company. It was uh, very marketing, sales-driven uh, we were leaders in the field. The company still exists today. It's called uh, SA Paving, SA for South Africa. Um, and, you know, as, as, we, as the company grew, in, in fact, I ended up in manufacturing of paving products or paver products back then also. In the late 80s, early 90s, we were concerned about the future of South Africa, what was going to happen there politically. Um, there were all kinds of scenarios, and I was 
you know, my mid-30s, had a good deal of business experience behind me. I'd had 15 years of business in this particular field, and I was introduced to a manufacturer in the U.S. and, and got to learn and understand that, uh, in fact, these products were just not well known in the U.S. There was some early use of paving stones, but nothing compared with almost everywhere else in the, in the entire world, even, you know, third world environments. So that was interesting. It's kind of the, you know, the glass is half full or half empty. It's either nobody uses it, so don't go there, or nobody's using it, so it's op opportune. Um, being that we were concerned about the future there, I had young kids, uh, we, you know, I really wanted to look at what was going on, and ultimately, in a leap of faith, I, uh, I left my business there, um, ultimately sold it to the management team, and I moved to the, to the U.S., and so we started. I, I met my business partner, Doug Luke, who was uh, uh, also one of the early people in this industry, and we just found that even from across such a you know, opposite sides of the Atlantic, we, we had the same kind of vision as to how a home improvement business should be run. And so, um, you know, that, that's how we come to be in the business. So I, I guess if I add up those years in South Africa and, and here, there are different environments. We live in a first world environment here where we can accomplish so much more at the customer service level, which has been great. Um, but it's uh, combined almost 42 years. It, it's been a while, um, but, it's, but it's been fun and it continues to be fun. Well, out of that 42 years, I'm sure there have been a tremendous amount of uh, lessons, lessons that uh, you've learned that obviously you've seen a lot of success from, but also lessons that have given you a little bit of scars and bruises. If you're, if you're speaking to let's say, some folks out there in the home improvement industry about, you know, two or three or of those lessons that, that, that have been, you know, whether it's looking in the rear view mirror or just, you know, still kind of things that you think about or potholes you try to avoid out there. What, what are a couple of those lessons that might be interesting for people to learn about? Well, I mean, I think maybe the biggest lesson for me was a lesson I learned back in South Africa in the mid-'80s when we had economic sanctions and we had capital out, everything, money went away. And so we had a recession similar to what we experienced in 2008. And we had a, you know, we had a cut. We had, a, we had to survive. We had to do everything possible to survive. And and, and we got through that in South Africa. So when we came to the Great Recession here in 2008, um, I felt like I'd been there before. And I think many other cohorts in business maybe hadn't lived through such a serious uh, recession at any given time. And so in a way, I thought that that was very helpful. And um, we acted early and we, we went hard. And... Um, we got through that. In fact, I think we became a better company through that because challenges do make you better. But you have to be bold. and You have to take action. You can't sort of just look at the problem. You have to be very proactive. And that's so, Larry, that what, were, what were a couple of those indicators that, that, that you could kind of draw parallels that, that gave you 
those insights of those storm clouds ahead? Well, I mean, look, the recession came on quite suddenly, actually, because whilst the the housing market had already slowed down, but remodeling was still going strong for us, certainly through 2008, all the way up to September. And then it was boom, you know, once there was the collapse of of the bank. So it was more that, not so much that the prediction that it was going to come, but more what do you do in the moment and... I've seen businesses just sort of look at it and wait for things to get better, but they don't. And so when I say be bold is you've, you've got to take serious action. You've got to do, you have to make the, the, the tough decisions. You've got to let people go. You've got to cut. Um, and, um, you, you know, just act fast. Right. So the other, one of the other lessons I would say um, for me was uh, don't have a lot of debt because we were able to cut and and act without being committed to you know debt that we couldn't get rid of. So the, I think debt can be the big killer in our industry, um, and and so those are you know some of the lessons. You know, don't don't be in that situation where your debt is going to pull you down, and then secondly when when faced with real problems, you you can't be timid. You have to act and act fast. Well, I think uh, another element too, and I think those that listen to this podcast series know that I tend to be kind of a gung ho and pretty optimistic. But my my kind of mantra is we're in nineteen. I'm interested in your comments on this as well, Larry. Is you know is kind of assume the worst but hope for the best, and Assume the worst doesn't mean you put your tail between your legs. It means you want to have plans in place that you're tracking very, very carefully, uh, but you're also hoping that you're exceeding what the expectations, exceeding some of the target targets. Any kind of comments to that kind of thinking? I agree because I think the recession that we went through was so tough that you, and you learn along the way, right? So you want to always have that, what's that plan B in your back pocket, you know, if if you're going to need it. And we certainly, I'm sure many of the listeners or anybody who lived through 2008 through 2011, let's say, will remember, you know, always what they went through. The same as I remembered what I went through in, um, in 1985. And, and I think so. There's nothing better than experience. Um, and, and experience does, you know, make you be more cautious whilst still being optimistic. And look, there's another piece to it. As you get older, you know, when I was in my 20s running my business, there's nothing that I was afraid of or even contingency concerns because you've kind of got forever. And as you... Right get a little more older or mature or whatever you want to call it, you know you have a shorter runway and you, you, you tend to have that experience, which can be good and bad, by the way, you know, where you, you, you might not take as much risk as you, you should. So I think there is a balance between how much risk you want to take and how much you want to protect against the downside. But you've got to think about those things. You can't just be... Um, 
you know, ignorant or, or, or closed-minded about all of that. Yeah, I would totally agree. That's well said. So, Larry, one of the things I mentioned at the beginning is you tend to be very much a forward thinker. You look out, you know, you look out uh, at the horizon a lot in terms of a lot of the different things that are happening just kind of in the world and in the marketplace. Share with us some of your kind of, not so much your crystal ball, but, but more what are, you, what are you seeing out there? Well, I think um, it comes back to the lessons you've learned and really what those lessons hopefully teach you is that I'm really willing and able to make change because that is the one constant that we have in our lives is change. Nothing stays the same. So we live in an age of exponential change, in fact, where that is that that rate of change is happening at such a pace. I mean, everybody knows, you know, if you buy a new phone or you buy a new computer, I don't know, in a month or less, it's already out of date. There's already something that's far more advanced. So if you sort of, you know, look at that on a curve, it, it's really a hockey stick kind of pace of change. And so how does that affect business? How does that affect the way things are done? And we all know, you know, there are the examples of Uber and many others, Amazon uh, and so forth, that have completely changed and disrupted industries and even destroyed companies that had been, uh, had been around forever. Some of the biggest brands, you could never imagine that they wouldn't be there anymore. So we can't assume that the remodeling space is going to be not affected. We can't assume that it's not in my backyard, so to speak, you know, that Amazon's just a bookseller. A lot of people thought that. Well, they're just a bookseller. Next minute, they own retail completely. So that drives me and I think a number of people in our organization to always be looking at change and how things get done differently. I think we have Frankly, I think we have kind of an antiquated model in the home improvement industry. Um, certainly, for many, the model is still where salespeople spend 50 or 60% of their time in a car and are considered good if they're closing 25 to 30%. Um, but in, in effect, if they're spending 60% of their time in their car, it means only 40% of their time is, is effective. And if they close a quarter of that, then they're getting a 10% success rate on the time that they're spending working, which is horrific. It's terrible. What, what business would exist on that basis in this modern age? So I think the processes of selling are going to change for that reason. They're far more effective, efficient processes that can and will be developed or evolved. And likewise, it's not a great process for the homeowner, too. The customer journey is lousy. It's like going to the car dealership to buy a car. You know, yes, we've gotten better. We've gotten more refined. We've got visual aids, and we've got beautiful computer presentations, and we've got new laws and rules that have evolved over the years to protect consumers. So it's not like it was in the 50s or 60s, but it's still a crude kind of a experience for the customer. And you know, the the old model of sitting around the kitchen table until they throw you out is a little bit like 
the uh, car sales guy on the dealership taking your driver's license and holding you hostile, hostage, that and your keys, you know, to do the trading. So exactly. I think that's going to change. I think that's going to change. I think that the client wants a different experience, and there's an opportunity for much greater efficiencies um, in, in terms of that whole sales process um, and, and a more efficient cost structure that comes with that. That's one. Big yeah, what's interesting, and it's interesting for you to comment on this, and, you know, Brian Gottlieb, who is uh, one of our thought leaders and we interviewed, is, you know, he's kind of turned the focus, which classically in our industry, it's been kind of a, you know, we're concerned about the quality, we're concerned about the cost, and we're concerned about time, and he's kind of turned it upside down and made time and speed the most important element for many clients out there and seeing a lot of success. And I think that ties very much into, you know, some of your forward thinking, Larry, that speed is really an important factor moving forward. It is because, and what does speed bring with it? It brings a lot of efficiencies, right? So in Brian's world, and of course we both know Brian and he's a super smart guy. um, I, I, I look at what he's doing and the fact that he can do some things so quickly i'm envious of that because in a backyard with hoas and and permitting and you know all of that sort of stuff unfortunately we just can't move as fast Um, however we can still even though we can't do that there are other parts of the journey that are process and that's customer journey also in our world that we can address, you know, that might be on the front end, on the front end of it, on the sales side, but also on the design side, um, because we've become very much a design company. In fact, when we look at one of our, uh, our value propositions, one of our key value propositions and differentiators is that we are really all about design first and foremost because you can you can have somebody spend a lot of money on a backyard have a lot of features and 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 um, bells and whistles but if it's not designed right doesn't function well uh etc then you know it's failed it's a bad experience and so we we've become somewhat as you said earlier on design build but how do you do that in a in a cost effective manner that in fact is not expensive, but still really, really good and fast. And so that's something that we've addressed, whereby we're using technology to gather data on the home and web conferencing type relationship with the homeowner to understand their wants and needs um, without a lot of drive time back and forth so that we can actually develop a great design before we even get to see the customer in person. Uh, so that's that's a different journey because we're investing in that client before we even get to see them in, in person. I mean, face-to-face in person. We're seeing them face-to-face on the web, but uh, before we drive out to the house, we we have the whole design process already done. So, Larry, let me, let me ask you a question that, you know, I think is important to a lot of our listeners. And, you know, I think, they sit back and they see a company like yours, they see a company like Brian Gottlieb's or Vince Nardo or some of our other thought leaders and say, wow, you know, they must have been really lucky. They must have been in the right place at the right time. How much of you 
of, of this journey, do you kind of speaking to this group of folks that's out there, do you think is, you know, more product of, 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 of good luck or more product of just hard work and grind and, and, and just be smarter than everyone else? Well, look, I think you have to be fortunate in life um, in, you know, and appreciate. I think that for any of us that might have achieved success, we believe it's only because of what we did. That's kind of a, not a good assumption to make because th- there's a couple of things about life. There's none of us know what's around the corner. And, and, but we all know stories of you know, tough things that happen to good people. And you say, Why? So at the end of the day, you know, if you've got health and you've got opportunity and all of that, you, you know that you're lucky. You know, that is lucky because without that, you don't have any opportunity. And I never take for granted the fact that I landed up in the U.S. in such a great country where I've had the opportunity and continue to have the opportunity to grow my business and do things that I couldn't have done anywhere else in the world. So I feel fortunate about that and many other things. And then with that, you know, there's also the phrase of the harder you work, the luckier you get. But it's not just about that. I think you do have to work hard and you have to, you know, think smart. But without being cliche about that, I think you have to differentiate. You have to really think about what is it, what is it that you do different. And for anybody who... I think as most of your listeners would probably know, but for anybody who thinks I'm going to be the low price model um, champion, there's no, there's nothing smart about that. That, That's a losing battle because it's a race to the bottom. So you really have to look at what are the differentiators? What is it that I can do for a client that nobody else can do? It's kind of your value proposition. And then behind that, you have to build a value chain that supports that value proposition in a very sincere way. I I think before we started the recording of this call, you asked me about the name of the company or you you alluded to that. And, you know, we were system pavers because we felt there was a number of things that applied. We were a paver system as opposed to concrete. So there are pieces and parts between how the blocks come together and their sand and the preparation. And it's kind of a real systemized um, installation um, service. And so we always refer to it as a paver system, therefore system pavers. But the other thing that was very much in mine and in Doug's mind, it's in fact one of the things that we had so much in common, is we realized that business was in fact a combination of processes that ultimately are also called a system and you had to have a system of processes to be successful and that was the other piece that um, kind of weighed into how we came up with the name it worked well from both sides and so we knew that with a a great product in place offering and also a system behind it that made it work well and run smoothly and, and it was a differentiator that we could build and scale the company. I think trying to scale anything without good systems in place is guaranteed failure. So uh, I think that, you know, it's a mix of um, fortune, uh, hard work, and really thinking about differentiation and processes 
to know that you can support whatever your offer is. Well, I think all that's very, very well said and certainly very, very good advice for you know anyone listening. And I, I would encourage and I want to thank Larry for joining us today, but I'd encourage you know, for those of you that have either a question or an interest, you know, reach out to Systems Pavers and, you know, reach out. Uh, if, if, if you feel this might be an organization that you want to have some alignment with or certainly consider talking to, uh, it, it, it really is a class act. And, Larry, thank you for joining me today. That's great, Mark. It's uh, really always a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, thanks for having me. If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. It's available in all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.